Hello and welcome to Kerrang! Back Issues. This week we will be looking at issue number 521, November the 19th, 1994, £1.40. This week's uh, copy of Kerrang! is quite a special one. So, as I've been told and I'm led to believe, that this is the first time that a cassette is given away with Kerrang! Previously, they had uh, given away flexi discs in the 80s I think it was, maybe in the early 90s, um, as we all know, or anyone that collects records knows, flexi discs are absolute garbage. You can probably play them four or five times and then they just fall apart and they also break the needle on your record player. Complete waste of space. So the cassette this week is a Music for Nation special and it contains uh, songs by Warrior Soul, Demolition 23, Widowmaker, Freaks of Nature and Apes, Pigs and Spacemen. And if you would like to hear more about this tape, I have recorded another podcast with the lovely chaps over at Free With This Month's Issue. So that podcast um, will be out this week, I hope on Friday, but we shall see. And it's a bit of a collaboration, so they're going to put it out on their channel, obviously, as it's their podcast, but I'm also going to put it out on my channel as well. And, you know, hopefully in the future, anytime there are more uh, podcasts around, you know, cassettes, uh, things that Kerrang! giveaway music-wise, things that the Free With This Month's issue people would like to talk about, then I will happily jump on board. Um, I think I mentioned it last week, but Free With This Month's issue podcast, they actually, uh, what they do is they take the, the tapes, the CDs that are given away with Enemy, Melody Maker, Kerrang!, Metal Hammer, things like that, and they talk to someone about it and just basically go through the tracks and review it. Kind of like what kind of like what I do here with Crangback Issues. It's a great podcast. I really, really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed recording with them. Um, you know, so hopefully here's to some more collaborations in the future. And if you would like to hear this podcast when it's released, it will be out on uh, all the usual platforms where you're probably listening to this podcast now. So if you would like to get in contact with us here at Kerrangback Issues, we can be contacted through Instagram at Kerrangback Issues, on Twitter at Kerrangpod, and email address kerrangbackissues at gmail.com. The cover stars for this week's Kerrang are the Black Crows, rocking with the Bruise Brothers, the Black Crows. This album nearly tore us apart. Plus, Slayer and Machine Head Blitz Belfast, Skid Row LP exclusive, it's so heavy. Sleaze. The new wave of scum rock explodes and Pearl Jam new LP reviewed here first. This week's Kerrang! is ever so slightly disappointing because there is no communication and there are no singles. Now I cannot believe that this week they Kerrang! received no letters of metalers complaining because if there's something I've learnt this year bloody hell do they like to moan. So I don't know why it isn't included this week. Maybe it was just a um, an editorial decision, adverts, all that malarkey. Either way, no communication, which I'm disappointed in, and no singles. Also, I think we need to say rest in peace to the cover quiz. So I only started doing the cover quiz, well, when they started doing it, um, a few months back. But it seems like they've... Just replace that with the swift word from Phil Alexander. So let's start with that. Warg! Warg! And Thrice, Warg! Yeah, we're proud to present 20 minutes of Titanic tunage this week. We are, of course, talking about the Killer Music for Nations cassette, which graces this week's cover. Warrior Soul, Demolition 23, Freak of Nature, Apes, Pigs and Spacemen, and Widowmaker. We think you'll all agree that they're all quality combos. 
turn the page and check out each of the five bands in question laying bare the inspiration behind the Triff O Wiz tracks in question. What's more, over the page you'll find your last chance to win a copy of Kerrang! The Metal Box, a commemorative box set which we assembled a few months back to celebrate 500 issues of the Big K. We've got the last five to give away and we want you to grab them. And, as if our generosity has no bounds, next week we're going to stick you with a free CD offer. For full details, check out page 63, better still, buy Kerrang! next week. Finally, to those of you who've been bemoaning your chance to rock out with your cock out in recent issues, we think you'll find what you've been looking for on page 24. Just quickly um, scanning to page 24 and it is the rebirth of sleaze. Yeah, we're talking about more mascara than Julian Clary, more peroxide than Pandora. Yeah, we're talking sleaze, 94. Bands like Degeneration, The Last Great Dreamers, Demolition 23 and A Cast of Thousands. Bands willing to resurrect the long lost spirit of rock and roll and act like grunge never happened. What's more, in this issue you'll find everything you need to know about Pearl Jam, Slayer, Danzig, Bon Jovi, Nirvana, Biohazard, GNR, Paradise Lost and more. We think it's a monster read. We hope to... you... Oh! Phil Alexander here has written, We hope to do too. I think he means we hope you do too. Till next week, stay clean. Phil Alexander editor. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Mayhem, the hottest news in metal first and the first main story this week is we'll play your toilet, Skid Row, out of shit creek and back in your face. Skid Row are currently locked away in a Canadian studio recording what's set to be a monstrous third LP. The New Jersey superstars whose last album Slave to the Grind entered the US charts at number one on its release in July 1991 have put the differences that threatened to split the band up behind them and have teamed up with heavyweight producer Bob Rock, Bon Jovi Metallica, and they hope to have their new record out early next year. And not surprisingly, Motormouth frontman Sebastian Bach is positively chomping at the bit over the prospect of the band's return. This shit is so fucking heavy, I cannot wait for you to hear it, he rants of the new LP, which will be titled Subhuman Race. The band are working at a furious pace and are currently expected to release the album for Atlantic Records in February. Thanks to Baz's exceptional, metal-tastically loud stereo, we can pass on the word that the skids are going all out to keep heavy metal alive and kicking, and that the new songs are some of the heaviest, grooviest tunes that skids have yet put together. Yet with almost no one playing real metal anymore in the classic Judas Priest sense, Skid Row's overt metal stance might have made them something of an underground outfit. Yeah, I guess Baz agrees, but think how fucked this is. You're asking that question to a guy whose band's last album debuted at number one in the US, so I guess if this one debuts at number two, it's over, right? Think of how hilarious that is. I could be Evan Dando of the Lemonheads and have my face on every single place on the planet and not be able to sell out a telephone booth. That's the other side of the coin. I could go on and on. Look at the band whole. You would think they're the biggest thing since sliced bread, but last weekend they pull into the Stone Pony in New Jersey, where Skid Row played before we even released a record. See, it can be a media darling, but I don't think kids want to hear about heroin and death and that same old shit all the time. I know somebody somewhere wants to hear a good guitar lick with a killer kick-ass scream over the top and a little bit of fun, and wants to hear someone that wants to play, wants to write music, somebody who loves to play music. It seems like an archaic notion, but fuck, shoot me. Biohazard, the Brooklyn Bruisers who have made tremendous headway during the past several months have just completed work on four self-produced songs at A&M Studios in LA, and three of these are slated to appear on forthcoming soundtracks. 
First to be released is likely to be a cut titled Beaten, which will be included on the soundtrack for the movie Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight, set to be released in February by Atlantic. The Hazard are expected to be joined on this extravaganza by the likes of Pantera, White Zombie and Sepultura, though an official track listing has yet to be confirmed. A second new Hazard cut, Sad Man, is to appear on a compilation album titled The Crow 2, though there is no film to go with this soundtrack, this is just one example of a new trend in the States where if a soundtrack album is significantly successful, then a follow-up compilation is quickly put together using the film title as a promotional tool. The final soundtrack contribution from Biohazard is for the film The Addiction, a modern day vampire story directed by Abel Ferreira, most famous for the recent cult film Man Bites Dog. The Hazard will donate the song Fallen alongside contributions from Slayer, Onyx and Typer Negative expect this album to be put out by Def Jam. The fourth cut from Biohazard's recent LA recording sessions is titled Scumbag. At this point in time however, it is not known where it will surface. It could well be saved for the B-side of a future single release. Anthrax, the venerable New York Thrashers are currently writing material for their next album. And guitarist Scott Ian, in an exclusive interview with Mayhem, reckons we can look forward to a cracker. I think this is shaping up to be our best album yet. I know everyone says that about their new record, but I honestly believe we've taken the whole Anthrax style even further than on our last LP, Sound of White Noise, and that was really well received. The songs are going to be different to those on sound but they will still be unmistakably Anthrax. I'm writing all the lyrics with vocalist John Bush, while the rest of the band, Frank Bello, Charlie Bonatti and Danny Spitz are contributing to the music. Plans currently call for the Frax to start studio work during February March with producer Michael Beanhorn, with the album set for release during the summer on Elektra. And here we are, another week and another Guns N' Roses story. GNR in new material stunner. It never ends. Guns N' Roses have recorded a track with new guitarist Paul Hugay, and Kerrang has heard it first. The song will be included on the soundtrack of new blockbuster horror movie Interview with a Vampire, which stars Tom Cruise and is based on the hugely successful novel of the same name. Mayhem can reveal that the new cut is a version of the Rolling Stones classic Sympathy for the Devil, which first appeared on the latter's 1968 album Beggar's Banquet. In typical fashion, the band only delivered the song to Geffen, who are to release the soundtrack a few hours before deadline. And if any of you listeners out there will remember, cast your minds back. There was an interview with Slash earlier on this year in Kerrang, where he said that Guns N' Roses would never do anything stupid like covering a Rolling Stones song, because what's the point, it's already been done, and here they are, Guns N' Roses are covering a Rolling Stones song. So what is it like? Well, GNR have done a superb job. They've successfully updated the song whilst retaining the essential animus and spirit of the original. To many Stones fans, the whole notion of another band daring to reinterpret such a classic might appear sacrilege, but rest assured, Guns N' Roses have done it total justice. Axl Rose's vocals are fiery and rough, yet he has also modulated his trademark whine a little in order to maximise the dark, diabolic mood. And the guitar combination of Slash and Hugay is nothing short of sensational, although the pair recorded their parts separately. Nonetheless, the twin axe attack is both seamless and potent. Indeed, there is a climatic guitar duel towards the end of the track that brings to mind prime time Finn Lizzy. Bon Jovi, as exclusively revealed in last week's Kerrang! will be playing a series of stadium dates in the UK next June, but nobody is exactly sure who will be in the band. Speaking to Mayhem from the New Jersey Superstars current base, Bearsville Studio in upstate New York, keyboardsman David Bryan admits, We actually don't know who will be on base with us when we start touring. 
Huey McDonald is playing on our next album and he's fantastic. But whether he will come out on the road with us or Alec John Such returns or some third party comes in, none of us are sure about. To be honest, I'm not sure why Alec chose not to play on the new record. It was his decision totally and it mystifies me. And no, he's not hanging out with us in the studio. Maybe it's the end of the band as everybody knows it. We'll just have to see. Record news and Polydor will be issuing a compilation album titled The Very Best of Cream during January. Dub War, the much-touted ragga metalers issue an EP titled Gorret through Earache on January the 9th. The full track listing is Gorret, Black Anodin Toxic Waste, Respected Live and Gorret Edit. Entombed have a compilation titled Imaginatively The Singles Compilation released by Earache in January. Fudge Tunnel, the Colt Nottingham Noise Trio will have an album titled In A Word issued through Earache in January. This will feature tracks from their last two sessions for John Peel's Radio 1 show plus previously unreleased live material. Van Halen, the US platinum rock legends, issue their latest album Balance through Warner Brothers on January 23rd. The track listing will include Can't Stop Loving You, What Love Can Do, Amsterdam, Not Enough, Seventh Seal and Heavy Groove. Wall, the West Coast post-hardcore outfit, have their second album box set issued by London in February. It was co-produced by the band with Tom Rothrock and Ron Schnappel. The band play a headline date at London Highbury Garage on December 13th. Other dates may also be added. Tour news and the Beastie Boys forthcoming UK tour has been cancelled. It will now be rearranged for February. Carcass, the Fearsome Foursome have added the following dates to their massive British tour. Exeter Cavern Club, December 13th, Worthing Factory, 14th, Tunbridge Wells Forum, 15th, London, uh, Ilford Island, 16th, Leicester Princess Charlotte, 17th. Corrosion of Conformity, the Carolina Band will be playing dates at Glasgow, the Cat House, December 6th, Dudley JB, 7th, Manchester Boardwalk, 8th, and Camden Underworld, 22nd. Dig, will be supporting Therapy on their forthcoming UK tour. Also on the bill are Irish Combo, Pet Lamb. Dog Eat Dog, the fast-rising hardcore combo, play London Marquee on December the 5th. And sick of it all, the New York Hardcore Maniacs will be playing UK dates in January. These are London Marquee Club 15, Southend Esplanade 16, Bradford Rio 17, Dudley JB's 18. Tickets are priced at £6, £5 for Bradford Dudley, £5 for Southend and £8 or £7 for London. Mayhem America, the hottest US news as it happened, starting this week with Lisa Johnson in LA. Pearl Jam still haven't settled on a drummer since firing Dave Abrazese. Jack Irons, who filled in with the band at their recent San Francisco date with Neil Young, was rumoured to be Abrazese's replacement, but Irons has decided to stick with his current band Eleven, who are due in the studio to record a new album in December. Meanwhile, Pearl Jam have been jamming with drummer Josh Freese, who's played with Infectious Grooves, Extra Large and Replacements, main man Paul Westerberg, to name but a few. Freeze has been playing with the Jam a lot recently and he's even recorded some new stuff with them at Pearl Jam guitarist Stone Gossard's home studio. Pearl Jam fanatics can also look out for a track called Catholic Boy on the soundtrack to forthcoming film Basketball Diaries, which is based on the autobiographical book from Jim Carroll. Three of Seattle's Monsters of Rock have joined forces in a side project known as the Gacy Bunch, named after executed murderer John Wayne Gacy, whose floorboards hid the remains of some 17 young boys. The group features Alison Chains' Lane Staley, Pearl Jam's Mike McCready, Barrett from the Screaming Trees, and some guy named Baker on bass. 
The band has played twice already in Seattle and each time the club in question was said to be packed. They've been described as Santana on heroin, playing a bluesy brand of music apparently half improvised and half written where McCready also gets a chance at some lead vocals. The Gacy Bunch might only be a side project but they're scheduled to enter the studio soon to record their music. And what is the current word on Alice in Chains? Well, an official statement rendered the band on hiatus, which may very well be, but according to one Seattle Singsters observations, from what I can tell, it's over. Guitarist Jerry Cantrell is said to be demoing a lot of solo work and looking for people to play with, whilst bassist Mike Inez is back in LA, and drummer Sean Kinney, well, you never see him out anyway. Just a caveat here that I think the band The Gacy Bunch is actually Mad Season, or it's what they came to be known. US News Extra. North Carolina rockers Cry of Love have parted company with frontman Kelly Holland. Seattle wannabes My Sister's Machine have split up. Soundgarden Super Unknown has been certified triple platinum, 3 million sales in the States. Soundgarden will thrash it out with Stone Temple Pilots, Green Day, Offspring, and Counting Crows in the Modern Rock Artist of the Year category at the Billboard Music Awards, which takes place in LA next month. Stone Temple Pilots will perform live at the event. Bad Brains have signed to Madonna's Maverick label and have reinstated original frontman HR. Don K now in New York. Faith No More are mixing their latest album, King For A Day, Fall For A Lifetime at Soundtrack Studios on Broadway with producer Andy Wallace. We got to hear seven of the album's 14 songs marking the debut of Axeman Trey Spruance and one listen displayed the diversity, energy and bizarreness that are the Faith No More trademark. Several of the songs are intense rockers with slabs of guitar and loads of screaming from Mike Patton with even a touch of Mr Bungle at one point. Whilst other tunes find Faith No More easing into a soul groove, complete with horns, wah-wah guitar and low-pitched vocals. The lads themselves are in good spirits with drummer Mike Bordin proudly proclaiming this is the best thing we've ever done. The new Pearl Jam album Vitology was unveiled to a small press crowd at Sony Studios during an invitation-only affair that featured a nice spread of food in addition to the musical delicacies. You what, editor? Generally speaking, the album was favourably received and its uh, experimental nature was described by one listener as ambient. Some songs like Tremor Christ were noted for their Beatles-esque nature, while the single Spin the Black Circle won acclaim for its punk heaviness. Good stuff. Finally, revolving industrial supergroup Pigface played the limelight on Halloween night where eyewitnesses were stunned to see ex-faster pussycat frontman tamed down, singing and playing guitar and reportedly doing a fine job. Whatever next. We now come to a piece in the magazine entitled The Rebirth of Sleaze. Loud and snotty, sexy and slippery, punk and disorderly, yeah, Kareng presents four pages of mascara, mayhem, sex, drugs and rock and roll like grunge never happened. Beginning with Demolition 23 by Paul Rees, dirtier than the New York sewers. And Demolition 23 can be found on the free tape. <laughs> Sorry, my voice just broke like a teenager. Demolition 23 can be found on the free tape that was given away with Kareng this week. A decade ago, the promise of Hanai Rocks died with their drummer Razzle in a road smash. Vince Neil, then singer for Motley Crue, was driving the car in which Razzle was killed. Hanoi was shaping up as the sleaze rock and roll band of the 80s. Without Razzle, they broke up. A major influence on Guns N' Roses, Hanoi Rocks like the New York Dolls remain one of rock and roll's tragic legends. Ex-Hanoi singer Michael Monroe is still the perfect rock star. You could land a helicopter on his pal and sharpen knives on his cheekbones. Today, he's absently fiddling with a harmonica in his latest record company's offices. To his left sits Nasty Suicide, late of Cheap and Nasty and more pertinently, former guitar ghoul with Hanoi Rocks. The final member of this ex-Hanoi triumvirate, 
bassist Sam Yaffa is in the kitchen making coffee and looking cool. With the addition of missing drummer Jimmy Clark, this is Demolition 23, the band whose eponymous debut album has a single stroke pulled Monroe's suicides and Yaffa's careers out of the gutter. Demolition 23 is a riot of snot-nosed, pin-headed rock and roll. It's the best thing I've ever been involved with in my whole career, Monroe croaks, punctuating each word with a wave of his skeletal arms. And after a mediocre solo career and Jerusalem Slim, the appallingly misguided cock rock project he put together with Billy Idol's on-off sidekick Steve Stevens, Monroe's renaissance is not before time. The last decent thing he, Suicide or Yaffa put their names to was two steps from the move. Hanoi's should have been huge but wasn't swan song. That was 1984. It's been a time of searching, Monroe sighs. First we had to get our lives back together after the band of our lives was taken away. All of us just lost everything. When Hanoi broke up, we all had personal problems, and that's why Hanoi had to split after Razzle died. We weren't supportive enough of each other to keep the whole thing together. We had to do different things. Hanoi Rocks should have been Guns N' Roses. Both Two Steps From The Move and its predecessor Back To Mystery City are as fucked up and fabulous today as they were all those wasted years ago. Those records were appetite for destruction with a sense of humour and better songs, each tune credited to one Andy McCoy, Hanoi's answer to Keith Richards, a deathly pale vision teetering between bouts of genius and a long lonely fall into the abyss of excess. This partially explains why he's the missing Hanoi link in Demolition 23. He's in Finland now making an album Shrug Suicide, but where's he going to go from there? I don't know. I don't think there's any point in working with him again. We've tried it and talked about it for long enough. We've got to come to the conclusion now that it's not going to happen. There's no point comparing the two bands, interjects Monroe. It's a different time and this is a better situation for us. We know much more and we've grown stronger. Demolition 23, the name comes from a nightmarish hospital ward in junkie author William Burroughs' The Exterminator, were kicked into life when Yaffa called Monroe in New York from a bar in Spain. He said he was coming over to play in a band with me no matter what, Monroe cackles. He was screaming down the phone. He nearly got killed by these old guys because he was disturbing their siesta. The reunited pair quickly hooked up with Clark and guitarist Jay Henning, played a month of shows at the Grand in New York and then enrolled Little Steven, Bruce Springsteen's original E Street Band guitarist, to produce their album in a matter of days. It was released in Japan in June of this year and with the sort of luck that befits a one-time member of failed Glamster's Star Star, Henning was hit by a car shortly after. He emerged from a month in hospital discovered that US Customs had refused his visa application for the band's impending trip to the UK. Enter suicide for Demolition 23's date at the Astoria on August the 9th. With Sammy and Nasty and I, the chemistry and the magic was there, Monroe recalls. It was a perfectly flawed, brilliant rock and roll show. Demolition 23, like the first Ramones on New York Dolls records, is a classic cocktail of punk and rock, wham-bam songs and brilliantly banal statements of intent. Check out Nothing's Alright, The Scum Lives On or Ain't Nothing To Do, where the guitars are dirtier than the New York sewers and the vocals swagger and snarl magnificently through every gonzo line. It's the complete antithesis of the misery and self-loathing that shaped 90s rock and how welcome it is. People are ready to have a good time again, nod suicide. You can have a party with this record. It's got a sense of humour as well as raw aggression. But the scene is so fucked up, hisses Monroe. As soon as it's called something like grunge or punk or metal, it's over for me. We're just a good rock band playing good music. That was the beauty of Hanoi Rocks and it's the beauty of this band. We can't be categorised. We've never fitted in anywhere, but it doesn't matter because we've always done our own thing. Demolition 23 are stars, entertainers, people who know exactly what rock and roll is about. Yeah, grins Monroe. There used to be a time when everybody had something different. The MC5, the Stooges, the Stones, Alice Cooper, Roxy Music. It wasn't just the red-haired guy from Stone Temple Pilots who sounds just like the guy from Pearl Jam singing the same melody and the same tone of voice. I mean, come on. 
It's very refreshing to hear somebody who's doing it from the heart and not pretending to be something they're not. I don't feel old, I don't feel out of place. There's guys who've got beer guts and beards and shorts. They look like clumsy old fools. Man, where's the energy? Are they all on dope or something? Fuck the scene. We're doing our thing. And it's not about money, it's an attitude. What I want to see up there is a great band like we are. Four strong individuals who don't just stand there and play, but have the whole thing. It comes down to chemistry and magic and vibe. If you've got it for you or you don't. This is the band and I know we'll make a lot of people happy. What more do you want from a fucking rock and roll band? Amen. Next we have Degeneration by Razel, new from New York, Melody with Dirt. Degeneration or third generation, a word on the street says the New York Quintet with funky bonnets like London bands, the Glory Strummers and Pleasure Victims have been sporting for yonks are the new New York Dolls. Word from vocalist Jesse Marlin is that the only operative word from this worth filing is new. The proverbial eponymous debut, familiar yet fresh, Melody with Dirt, it glows as it grows, it's a repeated plays thing. But yeah, new and degeneration want the world, or at least its children. We write about stuff that's going on in all cities and suburbs, explains Marlin. Our boy sells himself well as articulate and sincere, a gutter snipe with a master plan. We love New York, but we've been going way out of the city, up and down the East Coast, and we've just got back from California. We put more on the attack, anger and aggression of the live shows than we do on being some New York pet thing. We're a big band in New York. We can play to a thousand people, but when we play out west or even when we go up to Boston, that's when we've really got to prove ourselves. We're like a gang. We all grew up together. We formed this band because we didn't like the state of the world. Music, art, society, we're the opposite of people who are singing, oh, life is so miserable and I don't want to be a star. We're here to entertain, but we do have a message. We feel that everything is degenerated and we're the reaction to that. We, we, we. A lot of people tag us with that New York thing, but I don't think we sound like the Dolls. I think we owe more to bands like the Ramones, the Clash or the Dead Boys, or even the Stones or Cheap Trick. But we get connected to bands we don't even know about or like, like Hanoi Rocks. We went to see them once years ago. They were the worst thing I ever saw. We heard a lot about the Main Street Preachers. They had great press and I thought this band could give us a run for our money. Then I saw them live and I really hated it. They didn't even break into a sweat. So is New York a happening city again in 94? When we first started, there was nothing. Then me and my bass player Howie Pyro started our own club called The Green Door which brought in about 800 people every week. It's a kind of dance club where we play rock and roll from the 50s till now. It's very punk rock in a certain new way. A lot of people say we started the scene says Jesse with a shrug but we don't get into that. We just worry about the world touring and being degeneration. We've got other neighbourhoods to conquer. And the final piece in this sleaze four pager is UK Decay by Ray Zell, English Retro Sexual Rampage. Fresh, glam, sleaze, rock and roll mate. Attitude? Could it be that kids are bored with being bored and bands want to act like has been rock stars again? What comes around goes around, and rebellion is as complicated a tactical manoeuvre as doing what's currently accepted. Underground? Overground? Hey, what the fuck? Let's dig up the wombles too. So where did rock and roll go? Some say nowhere. It was merely ignored by the press who got high on a new thing. But Kerrang's weekly gig guide says the bands are out there working that ever-flexible glam ethic. Baby Strange, Dog's Body, The Glory Strummers, Pose, Baby Valentine, James's Gang. Are they behind the times or like Marky uh, Funsters The Water Brats? Have they been cock rocking it for so long that they are now ahead of schedule? Tyler, front person of On Ice Dog's Armoire and current solo artist Barks and Ironic Gaffour. When I put to him the question of a rock and roll glam thingy revival, Tyler claims to be currently playing to new faces, seemingly oblivious to the career of the dogs. So why has this doggy never strayed from his roots to heed the whistle of passing trends? It's just me, you know, shrugs the Wolvo Wonder. I think that if you bend me, you're gonna break. 
Gets us out somewhere down the line? Exactly. It's not just music, but fashion. How many times has your mother or older sister gone, my God, I threw that out years ago. If I knew I was going to come back, I'd have kept it. That's the classic thing, he philosophizes. Nothing is new, only forgotten. Of the new rabble on the block, marquee faves the last great dreamers have at last managed to get an album out. The mott-like and cutely titled Retrosexual. Vocalist guitarist Mark Valentine Natch welcomes the return of F.U.N. I think the colour's gone out of rock and roll a bit in recent years, reckons Mark. And there's a lot of people out there who could do with some excitement. We do an occasional club called Glitterball, staged at various venues. We thought we'd try to kickstart a scene here. You know what? London's been like. Add Pepsi Tate have recently revived Proud to be Glamster's Tiger Tales. Putting your grunge clothes on and adopting the necessary pissed off expression is not conducive with everybody having a great time in a club after midnight. As for scenes, these things are always media orientated, aren't they? But that early 80s scene with Rathchild and Marionette, who very often only 50 or 60 punters uh, got down at the Fulham Greyhound. But I tell you what, the Blombomagashes on the tail's return, I was amazed at the reaction we received at the marquee. To go away for all that time to come back to that. I think that some people who have got into rock music over the last few years are suddenly looking for something more visual, more up, rather than being angry all the time. And obviously, the people that didn't see us the first time have turned up because they've heard we're an antidote to that. Yeah, but who's going to save the ozone layer? Beavis, you've never been to a concert in your life. Shut up! We now come to concerts, and in a very different vein from Sleaze, the first concert reviewed this week is Slayer, Machine Head and Downset, live at the Ulster Hall Belfast Monday, November the 7th. Reviewed by Paul Brannigan, this, obviously, gets electrocution out of five, five out of five. What a lineup. This is the heaviest metal tour to hit Ireland in years, and the atmosphere is supercharged. There's a guy down the front wearing a crash helmet, chances are he'll need it, it's going to be one of those nights. LA rap metalers downset are a welcome addition to the bill on the Irish shows. Ever since Public Enemy pinched the riff from Slayer's Angel of Death for She Watch Channel Zero, there's been a host of shaven-headed types in cut-off combat trousers trying to rework the formula. Downset chuck out slabs of dense noise, thumping bass-heavy blasts of power coils and attitude. Presumably singing about Injustice and the Hood Motherfugger. The sound is so muddy, they could be reading out football scores. The quintet move and sound like Rage Against the Machine, but lack the killer choruses. So far, so average. The place is buzzing in anticipation of Machine Head's arrival. Introduced by NTV's Vanessa Warwick as the best new band of 94, the Oakland Quartet methodically set about tearing the venue apart. I didn't believe the hype before, I do now. Davidian ignites the mosh pit. Huge crunching riffs, kicking moist air into front row faces. A Thousand Lies is equally brutal. Vocalist guitarist Rob Flynn snarling, You want some shit? I'll fucking pound you some. Truer words have never been spoken. Even with the volume turned down far too low, monsters like old are frighteningly powerful, no holds barred, bursts of aggression and hate. The fattest riffs of the year spew out one after another, and the reaction is deafening. A blistering cover of Poison Ideas' Alan's on Fire dedicated to the Big Kerrang's Morat is hardcore rejuvenated, seething with barely controlled fury. Machine Head cab off their triumphant display with Block, Flynn screaming fuck it all, an awesome exhibition from Metal's brightest young contenders. Some people would have you believe that Slayer can't cut it in 1994, that the Sepultura's Panteras and indeed the Machine Heads of today make Slayer about as relevant as Dio. Those people are talking bollocks. Granted, it takes Hell's house band a while to work up a full head of steam. Granted, half the new songs sound just like Rain in Blood outtakes. And granted, Divine Intervention utilises the same arpeggiated opening as three other Slayer tunes. But when things click into place, there's not a metal band on the planet who can touch Slayer as a live act. 
Hanneman and King are still the hottest guitar duo around. Hanneman stalking the stage cool as fuck, King shrouded in dry ice, both churning out some of modern metal's most ferocious and memorable riffs. As the quartet tear through unstoppable renditions of South of Heaven and Raining Blood, you recall exactly why you got into metal in the first place. The sheer full-on intensity of Slayer in full flow is incredible. New drummer Paul Bostaff exercises the ghost of Dave Lombardo once and for all while the Riffmeisters lock together like a pit bull's jaws. Angel of Death, the finest thrash song of all time, pushes the manic crowd over the edge. It's impossible to top this, but Hell Awaits and 213 are potent encores. Rivers of sweat on the floor say it all. Did we pass the audition? The ever-polite Tom Araya inquires at the end. Too fucking right. True metal gods. The next review is for Danzig, live at the Irving Meadows, California, Monday, October 31st. Reviewed by Max Hackett, this gets a high voltage out of 5, 4 out of 5. Glenn Danzig and 14,000 pagan savages making unholy noise together by the light of the moon. That's my kind of Halloween. Near the end of the Danzig 3 How the Gods Kill tour two years ago, the band played a sold-out show at Irving Meadows. That concert is now almost legendary due to the success of the live Mother 93. A crazy show it was too. Security elbow to elbow ringing the stage, desperately trying to repel wave after wave of moshing fanatics, shirtless kids dancing around piles of burning paper and a rash of stabbings. Now, riding on the impending release of Danzig 4, they set out to take on Halloween and Irvine again. But there were no repeats. Danzig's stage set is a simple, almost Spartan affair. No skulls and gargoyles, just a giant skin mask hung over the drum kit. Conspicuous in its absence is Chuck Biscuits' trademark towering drum rise. In a surprise move last month, Biscuits left the group for pastures less black and was replaced by Joey Castillo of Sugartooth. This Halloween show marks his introduction to the world at large and is highly anticipated. When Danzig uh, band hit the stage, one thing is obvious, the new stuff rocks. They open with three of the more up-tempo tunes from Danzig 4, including the new US single, When You Call On The Dark. It's also obviously that Castillo is definitely up to the job, looking like a demonic John Bonham as he attacks his kit. The perennial faves are aired, Twist Of Cain, Sistina's Mother, but the focus is on the new material and the mood is more serious. Despite the massive mosh pit, there's much more of a rock concert vibe. No sign of the expected encore of the Great Misfits tracks Halloween, or perhaps a Samayan song or two. Instead, special guest Rob Zombie emerges on stage to duet with Glenn on Am I Demon and proceeds to inject a little insanity into the proceedings, causing a rain of pumpkin pulp when he heaves several burning jack-o'-lanterns into the audience. If Irvine Meadows had a roof, Danzig would have ripped it off. This next review is for Pink Floyd, live at Earls Court London on Wednesday, October 26th. This gets high voltage out of 5, 4 out of 5. 15 years back, Pink Floyd were the most bitter and twisted rock band in existence. Their 1979 double LP The Wall was a depressing, terrifying thing, the concept album from hell. Cranky Floyd, main man Roger Waters had the paranoia of a dozen Axl Roses. God only knows how the anarchic Another Brick in the Wall Part 2 made the UK number one spot. But that was them. Waters is gone now and within much of Floyd's bite. Pink Floyd 1994 is a smooth nostalgia trip, enhanced by the most spectacular lighting rig you'll ever see. Many of Waters' most bilious tunes remain, but without Rog to spit them out, it's all a little easy on the ear and mind. It's safe, but it's one hell of a show. The band are brilliant, especially guitarist Dave Gilmore, but nobody's really watching them. Uh, not while lasers are shooting all over the place, pyros are going off and a giant glitter ball is turning itself inside out. That said, Pink Floyd have made some of the most absorbing rock music of the past 30 years and it's still powerful stuff, 
even without waters. Money is still a sliced, sussed fucker, while comfortably numb is at once eerie and blissful. Pink Floyd can still do your head in. Next, we have Shudder to Think, live at the Islington Powerhouse, London, Wednesday, October the 19th. This gets electrocution out of five, five out of five. There are only a handful of truly progressive rock bands, groups who continuously reinvent and revitalize. Washington DC Shudder to Think are one such outfit. Unfettered by tradition, free from convention, their sound is a canyon of contradictions. Brutally fragile, gracefully awkward, deliciously bitter. Tonight's gig was punctuated by the clatter of jaws hitting the floor. All implausible chords and squirming riffs, nine fingers on you kickstarts crowd euphoria. Craig Wedring casually hitting notes other vocalists have wet dreams about, and he's only warming up. He Heron Coat mangles gorgeous harmonies for a web of seething dissonance. Gang of dollars shouts snorts crack with the angels. When Andy Cairns looking like Nathan Larson slides into the guitar solo on No Room 9 Kentucky, it's the year's most eloquent squeal. Shudder to Think's genius lies in their ability to fashion beauty out of discord, typified by Sewing to You. Above the organic shifting rhythms crafted by bassist Stuart Hill and drummer Adam Wade, Wedron finds outlandish melodies which make the hairs on your arms bristle. Rock desperately needs bands like this. The last concert review this week is Entombed and Brutal Truth live at the Limelight New York on Sunday, October the 30th. Reviewed by Steve Blush, this gets a high voltage out of 5, 4 out of 5. Evil was definitely in the air tonight. New York City's Theatre of Pain. The limelight is a former church converted to indulge the pleasures of the flesh. Promoting a bill packed full of brutal post-grindcore, this gig was a sonic exorcism of the highest order. Death never seems so appealing. And if heavy metal is indeed a dying art form, you couldn't tell from the hellbound sounds blasting eardrums tonight. Brutal Truth set the tone with a mind-melting, flesh-ripping assault which must be experienced to be believed. Vocalist Kevin Sharp sounds like his vocal cords are about to be ripped out of his throat, and one-time Anthrax bassist Danny Leica brings the noise so hard that it's obvious why Scott Ian's boys had to toss this frizzy-haired maniac from their fold. Their gruesome musical compositions flash past at breakneck speed, but suffice it to say that it was very, very ugly. But the man manically moshing hordes really got what they came for when Entombed hit the stage, Blending gruesome riffage with hellish vocal expurgation, the sweating Swedes performed material primarily cold from last year's blasting studio album Wolverine Blues. More rocking than gold flesh and more accessible than Napalm Death, entombed at Earache Records is best shot for big time American rock success. After an hour of blasts in a hard place, the crazed masses poured out onto the streets exhausted but exhilarated. No doubt, these bands are poised to step up the next rung of the corporate rock ladder. While recent times have not been kind to long-haired bands with attitude, Entombed and Brutal Truth are now the true alternative to all the flannel rock bullshit currently polluting the airwaves. Poster power this week includes Stone Temple Pilots, The Almighty, Slayer, Green Day and a lovely picture of Eddie Vedder getting some acupuncture. Let's move on to this week's cover stars, The Black Crows. Heavy Ship that's what the Black Crows went through to make the killer rock and roll album of 94. Hell, these guys hate each other. Mark Blake corners the Crows' hard rocking, hard rocking Robinson brothers. Oh shit, I'm just a freak. America's finest rock and roll band, the Black Crows, are in a London hotel and singer Chris Robinson is in full verbal flow. Like all great partnerships, Chris and brother Rich have a love-hate relationship. The pair occupy separate hotel suites. Rich's remain spotless, while Chris's reverberates with blues from a portable CD player and the clink of beer bottles being offloaded from a minibar. The lights are off, the joysticks are burning and Chris Robinson rocks greatest living stick insect, 
points to a waist measurement that would put Kate Moss to shame. I eat regular food, honest I do, he yaps, but I just can't help it. I have this amazing amount of energy and I just burn shit off. Chris Robinson is still the skinniest man alive and the Black Crows are currently sounding better than ever. Their third album, Amorica, is a melting pot of rock, blues, jazz and country. A vibe fest of Sly Stone, The Grateful Dead, The Stones and a barrel load of monster jamming riffs from the guitars of Rich Robinson and Mark Ford. Amorica is also the product of what Rich Robinson calls the worst time of our lives. 93 to 1994 was year zero for the Black Crows. They recorded an album, then shelved it and started again. Chris and Rich barely spoke to each other for a year. The band staged a drugs orgy in an LA recording studio. They videoed the party and stuck pictures from it on the sleeve of the new album, an album which, until recently, disturbed Chris Robinson so much that he couldn't bear to listen to it. It took me a couple of weeks before I stopped being upset by the record, murmurs Chris, cradling the first of several Heinekens. You see, we want our songs to be as soulful as possible, and everything we've been through in the last year, all this deep emotional shit just came out in the songs. Chris and Richard's clashes are nothing new, only this time, the rift grew deeper than ever. In the past, we could hit each other and not get upset by it, and it happened all the time, admits Chris. This time, it was more serious. Me and Rich truly hated each other. The reasons? Family problems. Chris waves a hand evasively. My mum and dad got a divorce after 30 years. Mum was a country singer and dad a minor TV celebrity from the 60s. Now it does feel weird. I love my folks but I severed the ties a long time ago. But I think it hit Rich harder. Down the corridor in room 211, Rich Robinson is chirpier than his brother. Chris was once the Crows' arch raconteur and mouthpiece, while Rich was more introverted. Today those roles seem blurred. As always, Rich has a grizzling look that suggests he's either just got out of bed, which he has, or is on the verge of a tantrum, which he isn't. Why do people in England always ask me why I'm so miserable, he protests. Honestly, I'm not. But he confesses, the Black Rose really don't get along. I'm serious, you will never meet six more different individuals in one band in your life. We came off that last tour and the whole band just hated each other. When the tour's over, you don't want to call those people up. You don't want to be with your own friends. Um, but when they don't call you up, you get insulted. There's an embarrassed pause. Jesus, it seems so petty now, but it's such a big deal at the time. I got married and I think Chris might have felt bummed out about losing his little brother. But then he moved to LA, the rest of the band are still based in Atlanta, Georgia, and separated himself from the rest of us. He produced an album for The Hypnotics, which in hindsight I think is excellent, but I didn't like it at the time. You see, everything I do is for the Black Crows, and it took me a long time to get used to the idea of my brother doing things with other people. We were leading different lives for the first time in years and it felt strange. The rift was finally healed when Rich flew out to LA. God, it was horrible, he grimaces. The two of us just sat down and talked it out. I had to tell him that we'd been a stranger for a year and that we were still brothers even if the band no longer meant anything. It might sound like some kind of stupid therapy session, but it actually worked. So the Black Crow stuck together and cut the best rock and roll record of 1994. Showcased at two recent secret gigs in London's Mean Fiddler where the band would build us blessed chloroform, new material like Gone, High Head Blues and She Gave Good Sunflower takes the crows even further away from the cheery 12-bar stomp of the Shake Your Money Maker debut. It's easy to keep doing the same old shit and get paid for it, reckons Chris, but we don't work that way. There's no rules with the Black Crows. Anyone who's seen this band play live will understand where we're coming from with this record. A couple of months back, the Crows made a last gasp appearance at the Lollapalooza Festival in Atlanta. We wanted to see if we fitted in, explains Rich, because of this big alternative thing that's going on in music, which isn't really alternative at all, but nobody seems to have realised that yet. There's a lot of snobbery about bands who sell records. 
We've been guilty of that attitude in the 80s. Chris and I went into so-called alternative music like R.E.M. because rock was going through that really shitty post-Van Halen period. Then a couple of years on, you start to realise that your ACDC and Aerosmith albums are actually really cool. Lollapalooza also highlighted what Rich describes as the most pathetic thing on earth, America's new wave of punk rock. Green Day, he shakes his head wearily. They're from San Francisco and they're singing with English accents. They are so non-punk, it's fucking hilarious. Green Day aren't alone. Both John Bon Jovi and the Manic Street Preachers have taken exception to Chris's put-downs in the press. This only amuses the singer even more. A lot of people leave things open for people like me to make jokes about, he smirks. Did I make a joke about Bon Jovi's hair? Hey, come on, it's just a joke, and people who hate that kind of shallow hair music will understand the point I was making. Chris called the Manics miserable fuckers who changed into tracksuits and played computer games on the tour bus after their gig. The Manics weren't pleased. I don't have any computers, Chris laughs. He points to his bell bottoms. This is me, man. This is what you get 24 hours a day. I can't believe those guys got pissed at me for just saying what I thought. Chris is equally dismissive of UK retro rock stylist Primal Scream, whose latest album, Give Out But Don't Give Up, is full of bastardised stone riffs a la the Black Crows. It's very much the Choir Boys album it's okay to like. I think they're posers, declares Chris. Rock and roll isn't something you throw in for a trend, and I can't help feeling that's what those guys have done. It's all just a stoned trip, he draws. I saw the Stones' new show the other week. Some of it's good and some of it's shit. There's Keith Richards and then there's Mick Jagger, and that's the shit part. Is there no stopping him? Obviously not. I don't want to be doing that when I'm Jagger's age. People say, hey, isn't Jagger great for 51? No, he's just silly. How about being sincere with your music, Mick? Back in room 211, Rich is posing for photographs, smiling sweetly, the charming host. Meanwhile, Chris is padding barefoot around his room, guzzling beers, looking for rolling papers, rubbishing other bands and clearly not giving a fuck. I love the road, he announces dreamily. I know that there's guys in this band that don't, but I still thrive on it. The Black Crow's next tour is called America or Bust. It's coming to a town near you and it's going to be a mind-altering experience. You have been warned. Basically, we're heavy metal, aren't we? We made a record, it's so heavy you couldn't get off the turntable. Albums, and the first album reviewed this week is Vitology by Pearl Jam. Reviewed by Paul Rees, this gets 3Ks. It's been a strange, confused year for Pearl Jam. Versus ensured their position as the most popular mainstream act in America. Their dispute with the US concert ticket agency Ticketmaster forced them prematurely off the road, Kurt Cobain's suicide and the departure of their drummer Dave Abrazese threw a dark cloud of uncertainty over their future. In between these key events, they were making Vitology. Fittingly, perhaps, what has eventually emerged is a strange, confused record, one that regularly veers between the pointed and the pointless. Much of its content, the good and the bad, continues their almost obsessive quest for peer respect. Consequently, for a significant proportion of its duration, Vitology sounds forced and determined rather than free and instinctive. Throughout the natural inspiration behind something as instantly gratifying as a live or even flow is held in check by Pearl Jam's increasingly overwhelming desire to distance themselves from the corporate rock stick with which they've been beaten. Vitology, in fact, sounds like a guilty apology for their own success. Which is a pity, because when it's good, Vitology is very good indeed. And tellingly, it's at its best on the songs that are most closely linked to the 10 verses lineage. Not For You, Nothing Man, Corduroy and Better Man, Fine Songs All. Set Pearl Jam in their most relaxed and attractive light. Stone Gossard's brooding guitar lines weaving around that mercurial voice of Eddie Vedder's. Here, Pearl Jam's darkly captivating melodies are at their lightest and most resonant. Better Man, in particular, highlights a newfound sense of subtlety and restraint. 
if only the rest of Vitology were as confident of its own worth. Instead, all but two of the remaining 10 tracks can be roughly split into three separate categories. Firstly, there's the ongoing lip service to the US punk ethic. Spin the Black Circle, which works, Whipping, and Satan's Bed, which are less convincing, passing by in a relative blur of open guitar noises and hoarse vocal urgings. Secondly, there's the fillers, Tremor Christ, I, Davanita, where both band and song alike wallow in a bleak and curiously cold mood. Finally, and most uncertainly, there's what can only be termed the crap, the seemingly unfinished, pry to, stupid mop. The absurd tape message that plays out the album and a piss take called Bugs, which bluntly re-emphasizes the fact that Mr. Vedder is not one of life's born comics, which only leaves Last Exit and Immortality, both of which are decent if uneventful. The former starts the album with a drumbeat stolen from Bob Dylan's All Along the Watchtower before proceeding out a fairly innocuous groove, while the latter's ghostly harmony betrays a fondness for R.E.M.'s circa Fables of the Reconstruction. Overall, you're left with a record that covers a great deal of ground, but one which ultimately runs into too many dead ends en route. The next album reviewed is Stoner Witch by the Melvins. Reviewed by Paul Brannigan, this gets 4Ks. Somewhere in the bowels of America, a group of malcontents, misfits and losers are shaking their heads to primordial rumble rock. There you'll find San Francisco's Masters of Sludge, Kurt Cobain's favourite band. A month ago, Prick, an atrocious album of Melvin's outtakes was released by Amphetamine Reptile. Stoner Witch is the band as they should be heard, hammering out low-end fud rock which knocks your spine out of shape. Queen stomps through a quagmire of pain and regret, a magic pig detective lurches about with revenge on its mind and the smell of stale beer on its breath. The Titanic trio now incorporates space and tense, moody moments into their havoc. King Buzzo wields his guitar like a baseball bat on Squeetis, but can conjure up chiming harmonies on At The Stake. Tasteful guitar adding to the nervy unease. Dale Crover's drumming is thunderous and new boy bassist Mark Dutron pounds purposely throughout. Stoner Witch oozes quality from every pore. Ugly rock for the beautiful people. The next album reviewed is For Victory by Bolt Thrower. Reviewed by Jason Arnop, this gets 2Ks. Disappointment time. You might have expected death metal stalwarts Bolt Thrower to storm back with some kind of new inspiration. They had, after all, split and reformed. Shouldn't there be new fire burning in their hearts and all that stuff? Nope. For victory reeks of contractual obligation. Bolt Thrower haven't exactly produced a bad Bolt Thrower album, they've just produced another one. While the Brummies have always been reliable for a good riff and a high degree of heaviosity, they've never been noted for the great variety of their output. Here the situation becomes ridiculous, with songs literally indistinguishable. Producer Colin Richardson fulfills his end of the bargain, achieving clarity, but it's a real lack of new ideas which ultimately fails the band. The now departed Carl Willits's voice may be in fine deathly fettle, but he's still rambling on about the extinction of mankind, battles raging all around and of course victory. The first track amazingly enough is called War, don't mention it. Equally, the guitars of Baz and Gab are drilling as precisely as ever, but they've already played these riffs several times. The corpses need not be exhumed. It's a bad state of affairs when a band's fifth album is their weakest in years. Lest we forget, it's the only track worth a special mention, at least offering more a song than others. For Victory, it's sadly bolt thrower by numbers. Fallen heroes indeed. The next record reviewed is Pisces Iscariot by The Smashing Pumpkins, reviewed by Paul Brannigan. This gets 4Ks. It says everything about The Smashing Pumpkins that a collection of their B-sides and outtakes is one of the albums of the year. Most bands would sell limbs to write songs which Billy Corgan throws away, and as we await the follow-up to Siamese Dream, this will do nicely, thank you very much. 
Die-hard fans of the Chicago Quartet will have most of these songs already, but will want to buy this for three previously unreleased gems. Frail and Bedazzled surges forward on a riff of molten gold, Wurt is a dreamy cascade of childlike reflections while Space blends sensuous stony guitar with sampled psychobabble. Corgan and crew are masters of dynamics, as a drut with headbanging romps as languid mood pieces. Pissant and Hello Kitty Cat are the pick of the rockers here, with consolation prizes going to the Hendrix-esque animals cover, Girl Named Sandals, and the five-minute guitar freakout which concludes the gorgeous psychedelia of Starla. Elsewhere, smooth and obscured are painfully delicate, James Iyer's riffs and Corgan's almost feminine vocals weaving spider's web dreamscapes. Pisces Iscariot reinforces the fact that the pumpkins have few peers at the pinnacle of modern rock. Diamonds in the dust. The final album reviewed this week is Rock and Roll by the New York Dolls. Reviewed by Ray Zell, this gets 5Ks. Bastards. This is like putting both Dolls CDs in your machine and hitting that infernal shuffle button. Yeah, practically every bloody song from the precious New York Dolls eponymous debut 73 and follow up Too Much Too Soon 74 appear on this single CD, plus a couple of previously unavailables through official channels Natch in Lone Star Queen and Don't Mess With Cupid. The Sex Pistols were merely a spunk stain compared to the glorious abortion which was the Dolls, the prototypes, the real high heel deal. And rock and roll, is that all the creative midgets involved with this could come up with to express the careering mess of amphetamine-charged blues-punk melodrama barely contained here? Then again, hmm, maybe rock and roll does say it all, and I got a personality crisis, baby. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Packed with hot picks and info on the most fabulous bands of all time, this release really is too good, bad and ugly to be true. And as a purist, I might add, I detest its sacrilegious track pilfering and rearranging existence, and a curse on anybody who buys it. We now come to a lesser spotted feature in Kerrang called Culture, spelt with a K obviously, K-U-L-T-U-R-E. This is a part of Kerrang where they review videos, books, zines, that kind of thing. There's a couple of things of note this week which I think we should probably read out. We should read out, I'm going to read out. The first review is for Nirvana with their video Live Tonight Sold Out. Reviewed by Mike Peake, this gets 4Ks. Wasn't the biggest fan of Nirvana. Had never mind, of course, but I couldn't see what the fuss was about. It's easy now to sound sentimental because Kirk killed himself. But in Live Tonight Sold Out, the whole Nirvana story, their frustrations, anger and real personalities is revealed. It takes you closer to the band than any mega budget band movie ever could. It's raw, brutal and honest and hugely watchable. Recorded over a two-year period, the video charts Nirvana's rise from log cabin layabouts to stadium superstars. And it answers all the questions you were too scared to ask. Were they any good live? Check out the immense love buzz or the molten fud of territorial pissings. Reel at the bludgeon of negative creep. Did they have a sense of humour? Witness Kurt farting around with smells like teen spirit or Chris warbling on about golden showers. Were they jerks? Far from it. They come across as ordinary types with a passion for music and a hatred of the multi-million dollar corporation they became. But that Kurt bloke, he's the focus of life. He seems funny, articulate, warm and a great guitarist. You laugh with him when he fucks up the start to lithium. You wince when a bouncer thumps him in the head. You really do feel lost when you realise that Kurt Cobain was a normal guy. Live Tonight Sold Out is a feast of live material, interviews and home video pissabouts. Yet it's as much a cautionary tale as a celebration of Nirvana's legend. The next review is for the audio CD and the book by Henry Rollins. This is for Get In The Van On The Road With Black Flag. They both get 3Ks and it's reviewed by Chris Watts. 
Henry's problem is that no matter how much fun he's having, his muse is essentially bleak. Get in the van is Rollins' journals from his tour of duty with Black Flag from 1983 to 1986 and is supplemented by a spoken word CD. It reads like a martyr's journey of discomfort and self-discovery. It is a bitter, brutal and occasionally comic description of Black Flag's slog through the underbelly of America's hardcore circuit. Basically, Black Flag twatted a lot of skinheads, busted a lot of hire vans, played a few cool gigs and ate very little. They actually achieved very little, save provide a springboard for Henry Rollins' relentless work ethic. There are few literary delusions. Despite an early tendency to wallow in self-pity when he didn't get a shag and an unfortunate habit of adopting old English phrases such as chump and damn to describe neo-Nazis and ultravox respectively, but it's as ruthlessly inspiring to the couch potato as anything else out there in print. But secretly, you can't help thinking that Henry would much rather have been Dave Lee Roth. And another feature this week, which I mentioned the other week when Kerrang made some changes, it's called Hearing Aid, and they answer questions um, just around people's questions about, usually about pressings of records, that kind of thing. Some of it's quite interesting, but again, I, I said I was only going to read it when something like really popped up, because a lot of these questions can just be answered now for us with the internet using Wikipedia. So the first question this week in the Sony minidisc advert on telly, they feature a rock band. Are they for real or just a creation of some advertising firm? Jackie from Warrington. The hearing aid doctor says, well spotted Jackie. And yes, the band are for real. Their name is Reef and they come from the Glastonbury area. The band have issued just one recording to date, a sampler seven inch single, Good Feeling and Choose to Live, which you might be able to get by writing direct to them at their mailing address, 8 Station Parade, Barking, Essex, IG11, 8DN. The song they are playing in the advert is called Naked. Unfortunately, the number isn't available yet, but as Reef assigned to S2, that's the Sony Squared label to you and me, it should see the light of day before the end of the year. If you write in again with your full address, the good doctor has got a Reef t-shirt for you. Chart Attack and number one in the album chart this week is Unplugged in New York by Nirvana. Number one in the singles chart is Alice What's the Matter by Terrorvision and number one in the indie album chart is Burn My Eyes by Machine Head. The reader's chart this week comes from Nick Russell from Weybridge. Number one in uh, Nick's chart is Refuse Resist Sepultura. Two, Another Worldly Device Prong. Three, Alice What's the Matter Terrorvision. Four, Sucker Punch the Wild Hearts. Five, Warfare Clawfinger. Six, Scream Age of Therapy. Seven, Killing in the Name Rage Against the Machine. Eight, Debaser Curb Dog. Nine, My House Terrorvision. And ten, Rape Me Nirvana. Quite a lot of those songs were actually featured on the Kerrang! album that was out earlier on in the year, so maybe Nick only owned one record. Star Tracks this week comes from Jesse Marlin from D-Generation. His top five are number one, Best of Sam Cooke, Sam Cooke. Two, Sleeps of Angels, Neil Young. Three, Get Happy, Elvis Costello. Four, M.I.A. The Germs and Fine, Sandinista by The Clash. Next week in Kerrang! Back Issues. Oi, Nutter. Crikey, it's that bloke Ricky Warwick from The Almighty and he's mighty pissed off. Find out why next week when we catch up with him on the road. Stone Temple Pilots, can bald men really rock? Plus, Warrior Soul, Therapy, Whitesnake, Paradise Lost, Degeneration and Motley Crue, no future. Also, free CD offer. Collect the coupon next week, waltz into one of the stores listed in Kerrang 522 and pick up a totally free CD code from the Century Media label's terrific back catalogue. Featuring the likes of I Hate God, Cro-Mags, Devin Townsend, Demolition Hammer, Graveyard Rodeo and more. 
It's a cornucopia of cranium crunching chaos. Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening and we will be back next Wednesday as usual. And just a reminder that there will be a bonus podcast out this week, uh, which is a review of the tape that is given away with Kerrang this week in conjunction with the lovely chaps at Free with this month's issue. So when that pops up in your feed, go and have a listen. Or failing that, I will be promoting this obviously on Instagram, Twitter and all of that stuff. So uh, look out for that. And yeah, I'll be back next week. So talk to you all then. Bye for now.